America, land of the free. Our liberty is something we all hold dear. Unfortunately, there are those who have sought to take it away. Time and time again, they have been met by an immovable force. One that is resolute. One that never backs down. One that has always stood victorious. These heroes are the veterans of our armed forces. We have because they gave. With a grateful heart, we say thank you. We say thank you for your sacrifice. We say thank you for your service. We say thank you for freedom. Let us never forget what you've done. For everything that we have and everything that we are is because of your sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. John 15, chapter 13. Bigfoot in the Citizen Scientist podcast wants to thank every veteran out there for your service. Thank you. Somebody along the line said that the universe is not only stranger than you think, it's stranger than you can think. If you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. So I like to stay green until I'm <laughs> not here anymore. Just keep learning because that's what it's all about.
Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to Bigfoot and the Citizen Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I want to thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you would like to share on the show, shoot me an email at sciencemeetsbigfoot at gmail.com, or you can call the voicemail line at 641-715-3900, extension 448-449. That's 641-715-3900, 448-449 for the extension. I can also be contacted on almost all social media platforms. Either way works, just get at me. Before we go any further today, I would like to touch on the very beginning of this episode. I get so wrapped up in my own life that I often forget how good I have it. And I have it as good as I do because of our veterans. People who have sacrificed family, home, and regular everyday life. I feel it very important to remember and honor our veterans of past, present, and future. I have a lot of respect for someone who is willing to sacrifice all of the aforementioned to protect this country and her occupants. So I wanted to say thank you for your service, AJ, in both the military as well as law enforcement. You have Bigfoot and the Citizen Scientist Podcast full support behind you. Okay, so to get into it, in today's episode, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to interview North Carolina's Bigfoot 911 Research Group member, AJ Crawley who has had some pretty unexplainable and harrowing experiences. He's had a boulder thrown towards him, saw a shadowy bipedal figure in the dark of the forest, and so much more. If you're interested in watching this interview, you can go to YouTube, to the Bigfoot and the Citizen Scientist YouTube page, hitting that subscription button, and find the interview in its uncut and raw entirety. So buckle up and get ready for a ride into AJ's Sasquatch history and experiences. feet tall just like in the movies boom boom walking sideways to me oh my god north oh my carolina god. is bigfoot territory no, no, no at least that's what you'll hear from about hunters of the elusive some say fictional creature this thing was 10 foot tall a national bigfoot research group that tracks sightings shows pings all across the tar heel state there have been several reports just in the past couple years he was like a basketball player mixed with a wrestler, football type uh, size. Most of them debunked, forgotten, or both. Night vision scope, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cameras with LEDs, infrared illuminators. But now a group out of McDowell County that's been tracking the creature for more than a decade claims they finally have proof Bigfoot is here. They've been going on hunts, narrowing down their search. They posted these photos on Facebook. Footprints, they say gash marks in trees, audio clips of Bigfoot howling, and yes, even photos of what they claim is Bigfoot himself, right here in the North Carolina backwoods. They're so confident they're on the creature's heels, they've now created a hotline for tips. And while no one has ever been able to prove that Bigfoot exists, this group swears they'll be the first. So if you see something unusual in the woods, if you hear something go bump in the night, Bigfoot 911 wants to hear from you. We've linked up to their information on our website. Reporting for NBC Charlotte, I'm Savannah Levins.
Uh, today we have AJ on the line, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his experiences. Um, so, uh, welcome, AJ. Thanks, thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So let's let's go ahead and start uh, uh, start by uh, letting the audience know a little bit about yourself, uh, your background. Uh, if you don't want to, don't you don't have to get too specific about anything in any of this conversation. But uh, so it's all up to you. But uh, let's just start there and uh, and work our way up. All right. Very well. Um, so I'm from uh, Western North Carolina, which is you know some people say they're North. West Georgia is kind of a hot spot right now for these things. And uh, so I'm here in Western North Carolina, a former law enforcement officer. Um, I worked in the prison system, also probation and parole. And uh, now switch gears and work in the hospitality industry, which is great. I've been a high school football coach. Um, and I've, I've been lucky and I've wore a lot of hats. So uh, done a lot of things. As far as uh, what I what I've been through here in I'll start from the early days from when I was a kid I guess that was my first introduction to uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch well here here in North Carolina I've learned that we call them wood boogers or, or boogers and mm-hmm. I guess when I first heard of these you know it happened at about the same time as the uh, the Patterson Gimlin film hit on in search of the old show with Leonard Nimoy. Yep. And I was maybe seven or eight years old when that came out, but here at the exact same time, I have family that lives in these uh, South mountains of Western North Carolina around the, uh, the Shelby Kayser um, area like that. And you can look it up on the internet. There was, there was a thing around here called the Nobby and you can Google it and, and find all, all about it here in West North Carolina. And it was around Carpenter's Knob, uh, some little area there in Northwest Cleveland County. And it got its name Knobby from Carpenter's Knob, because that's where it was seen a lot. And nobody knew what it was, but I had family in that area. And the family had several sightings. And as a kid, I was really just, a kid listening to the adult conversation, we would go to the rivers and have our uh, 4th of July gatherings and our family gatherings at the old river home place, you know, and I would listen to the, the, I guess you'd call them elders or people in our family. Well, you know, that thing come visit my house last night, screamed all night, wouldn't shut up and uh, fired a few shots, you know, something like that. Or, but I can remember a few things from, their stories of, like I said, just listening on their conversation as a kid, which, you know, I wasn't really part of the conversation, just listening in on it, like I said. And uh, I remember one thing that happened was I had an older cousin, probably like a more like a second cousin to me, but he was a cousin. And I was spending the night that weekend, I guess, you know, I, I was young. My parents wanted to go out like most parents do. And I guess I, have, I was the middle of three siblings. So, uh, my aunt and uncle said, well, I can come stay with them. They're great people, great people. And, um, my cousin, second cousin, he was home from the army and he was actually stationed in Tacoma, Washington at Fort Lewis. So he was home on leave and he wanted to go deer hunting. That's just what people in the, the mountains do. They, they go deer hunting and stuff like that. 
And so I got up that Saturday morning. He had left earlier than that to go deer hunting. And I'm in the floor watching cartoons like any kid does on a Saturday morning. You know, back when we had Saturday morning cartoons, the Looney Tunes and all that. So, And the next thing I know, uh, my cousin just came busting in the door and collapsed in the floor. And, of course, there was a big commotion. My, my uncle, he jumped up out of his chair. You know, what in the world is wrong with you, boy? And the aunt, my aunt come running in, or great aunt, I guess you'd call her. And uh, he was in the floor just as wide as could be. And I was just sitting on the floor looking at him like, what in the world is going on here? This is a strange family. You know, <laughs> that's probably one of the first or second times I ever spent the night with him. <laughs> babysitted, I guess you could say. And uh, so he starts telling about the knobby. He was in his deer stand hunting on the edge of a field and he saw this thing walking toward him on, on two legs. And, um, but it was across the field and walking his direction. And he said, it's a pretty big field. And I, I know the field he's talking about. And it's about a mile away from their home. And they, they live in the creek bottoms in a sort of a valley between the mountains near South Mountain State Park which South Mountain State Park kind of runs into um, the Carpenter's Knob area and where I told you this knobby thing had been seen a lot. So he watched it through his rifle scope and it was still walking in his direction, getting closer and closer. He just watched it, you know, trying to figure out what he was looking at. And uh, pretty soon he said he started to get a little rattled because it was just taking his time, just moseying across the field and looking around and he, he, he didn't know if it saw him or not, but it just kept walking in his direction. So he got down out of the tree stand thinking he's going to have to make a run for it if it got, you know, much closer. So it just so happens that it just kept walking toward him. So he gets down out of the tree stand, stands at the bottom of the tree, keeps looking at it through the scope, and finally he, you don't need the scope anymore. It's close enough. So he fired a shot at its feet to stop it, and uh, – like I said, I don't know if it saw him between then and there. This was probably back in the late 70s. And a lot of time has passed between now and then. And I've been meaning to get with him and talk to him about this. But, you know, time and circumstances haven't presented itself. But he took off running back toward home and had about a mile to go. And he came to a cattle gate that he had to cross. And he had a decision to make. Do I put down my gun and climb the gate? What do I do here? You know? So he looks back and the thing is still coming toward him. And so he just takes a couple steps back and dives over the cattle gate with gun and all. And I thought, wow, okay. So he, he takes off running again on the other side, he gets to his feet and runs the rest of the way to the home. But now shortly after the gate, he looked back and said, this thing just stepped over it. It didn't take a jump. It didn't do anything kind of like it just stepped over it and kept walking. So he ran all the way back home and that was when he, collapsed in the house and the door. And so him and my uncle got, uncle got, got his outdoor attire on boots and everything. And they went back to where he was at. And then that was the last that I know of that encounter. Never heard much about it after that from him. And then uh, there was the next encounter was a cousin and she lived on the same property, which was about 90 acres, and it's all family that lived on, on that property, and I believe uh, her parents had a mobile home, and she was the same age as I was, so 
we had one of our 4th of July get-togethers at the river, which is just across the street from where all these people lived on the, on the 90 acres. And of course, I'm listening to the conversation again, eating watermelon. That's what we do on the 4th of July and swim. And uh, somebody had asked where the, the, the little girl was and uh, she was in the hospital. And one of us said, well, why is she in the hospital? Is she okay? Yes, yes. She was just in a little shock. Uh, she went out her front door, was playing in the yard, running around and ran right into this knobby thing. I mean, she literally made contact with it from the story the elders were telling each other. And she looked up at it and it looked at her. They both screamed and ran in different directions. And she had to, she had to go to the hospital. They took her to the hospital because she was just in shock. And I guess she's recovering. And like I said, now this was back in the early, early 80s, maybe the late end of the 70s when that happened. And then I never really heard anything about that again from them. And then the, the other story I heard was it snowed one time here in Western North Carolina. And the same family that I spent the night with, um, my uncle, he was a heavy equipment mechanic for a company. And he would keep the dozers and stuff running on the job sites when they broke down. And, you know, change the fluids and just a machinery person. So he would get up every morning early and go to work. He kept his boots outside the back door. He wore to work every day. It's not to track them through the house. And he got up and went outside on the snow and to get his boots off the, uh, they had a little square concrete pad poured outside the sliding glass door. No roof over it or anything. So he went out there to get his boots and put them on. He noticed these gigantic bare feet print in the snow, right up to his door, through the yard, right up to the sliding glass door, and then back again, back to the woods, back across the river. And so he got his boots on, didn't tell nobody, got a, a shovel out and messed up all the footprints so nobody would see him as his family because he didn't want him to be scared that it walked right up to the door. And he followed the footprints for a mile or so till they went into a, he said it was a cave on the inside of the creek bank. And he said he wasn't brave enough to go any further than that. So he just walked back home, got in his truck and went to work. Now there's been a couple instances of the same family on the same property. I've been talking about has had it looking in their windows at night where they're watching TV. Um, they hear it screaming and stuff like that. And like I said, this was back in the late seventies and early eighties after about the mid eighties, we never heard from this again or I never heard anything else about it. And I was in a high school, junior and senior and graduated and never really thought much else about it. Then a story came out in the local paper in this area where um, they found a bear that was badly burnt from a forest fire that we had in the mid eighties. And of course they, that's what they contrib contributed to what they think the knobby was. Okay. Now, the fire broke out in 84, 85 time frame or so, but yet they were having these encounters in the late 70s and, and, and not in the late 70s, but in the 70s all through the decade. So we kind of knew that's not what it was. You know, everybody in that area is like, no, that's not what it was. It's the, the time frame don't match up as far as the, the forest fire that happens. Pretty big forest fire. So didn't think anything else about it. Uh, around 1990, I joined the Navy. And um, went to boot camp in San Diego and met a really, really good friend from Bothell, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle. 
And of course, I teased him from being from the land of Bigfoot and Yeti all through boot camp. Had big laughs about that, you know, and teased him a little. But we were really good friends. And um, come toward the end of boot camp, everybody's getting their their orders in the Navy wherever they're going after boot camp. And lo and behold, my orders came in to uh, uh, Bremerton, Washington. So I'm going to see he he got his payback. He gets to tease me now. That's that that's where I'm going. So. Uh, we got to be really good friends and uh, we would share holidays because he would come home on leave from the Navy on holidays and his parents and I would meet me at the ferry terminal and I'd hang out with him. We developed a real good friendship. And living in Washington state was an eye opener to this subject because in Washington state, it's common talk. You know, people, are, I can't say all of them, but mostly everyone you met knew these things existed. And while I was in Washington State, there were several of them cited, you know, and seen and reports in the papers and everything. And one of the local guys also said that, you know, they have laws on the books about killing one of these things, that you're not supposed to do it. It's against the law. So I thought, well, why would you have a law for something that don't exist? Makes no sense to me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh I'm sure you've heard the 911 call. The yes. gentleman that was in his yard and um, it was looking back at him while he's on the phone with 911. I believe that was in 1995. Mm -hmm. It was. And that was, that was Kitsap County, Washington, which is exactly where I was stationed at in Kitsap County. So I was there when that happened. I was up there in that area. I was there. Um, when um, Paul Freeman shot his famous video, mm -hmm. I, I was there. And, no, and this is all over the news up there. It's in every paper and this and that. And this. so it's really commonplace for that in Washington State. It's, it's, it's not a fact of if for most people. It's, it's when are we going to catch one of these things or when are we going to find mm -hmm. one? So living in Washington State for those six years really opened my eyes to Pacific Northwest and um, there's a nuclear submarine base up there that was part of the attachment that I was assigned to in, in the Navy. And there was actually uh, sightings, reported sightings on base by security personnel of these things being on base, being saw, seen on base. And if you think about the gravity of that, these are official Navy documents. And on this base, they actually have... Um, nuclear missiles, ICBMs for these submarines. So security is tight around that base. I mean, not only on base do you have to have, you know, your military ID or, or, or your civilian contractor ID to get on and off base. On base, there are checkpoints that even if you have that ID, if you don't have the clearance, you don't go through that gate to that area. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's even places on this base, there's roads um, near where they store the weapons. They're underground in bunkers. You can go through there, but you don't stop. You do not stop. There are forces hiding in, 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 in the woods, um, secret little areas of ob observation. I, one story I heard once was the, comm the commandant of the Marine Corps was out jogging. And he was visiting the base, checking on security, you know, doing whatever those big wheels do, you know, in the military. Well, he jogged through that area. And, of course, they stopped him and put him on his face. 
because he didn't have an ID card. <laughs> and they took him into in, to custody because he, he didn't physically ha have it on him. So security's tight. And you got to wonder, well, how do these things get on base and nobody knows it? Or do they know it and just don't say nothing, you know? And then I spent a lot of time uh, on Vancouver Island. What's they call that? Ape Island. No, yeah. familiar with that or not. And I've been to some places of that island that are just insanely uh, weird feeling, you know. And I, and I believe that's where um, the Osterman story happened, I think, um, where the, the trapper went over to the island by canoe or boat, mm -hmm. got kidnapped in a sleeping bag and was carried through the woods. I think that happened yeah. on Vancouver Island. And I've, I've looked at it on the map, you know, determined that's that's where it happened. So uh, I started perking up a little more. I've done a lot of camping uh, in Washington State. The only one thing I could ever say that happened that was weird was while we were sleeping in the tent one night, something was going through all of our stuff. Now, you could say that could have been a raccoon or it could have been any number of animals, bears or whatever. But the funny thing about it was you know, none of us were armed because we were in the military. You're not really allowed to have firearms while you're in the military unless they're issued to you. So you don't have them. But something was rifling through our stuff, but it was being thrown about. And you can tell it was rifling through something and then it would kind of toss it and it would hit the ground over here. And I'm thinking, well, an animal don't really do that. You know, this is what I'm thinking to myself while I'm in the tent. But I didn't have the nerve to look out and see what it was. It was just pitch black, and I just laid there and listened. It went away, and I went to sleep. So that's the only strange thing that I could actually say that ever happened while I was in Washington State. So after my time in Washington State, I came back home here to go out of the Navy, come back here to Western North Carolina. And Bigfoot and Sasquatch was not on my radar, even though I still believed in it because of my family that lived on that 90-acre plot at the foot of the mountains. You know. They were really good people, real Christian people. And they're not going to lie, you know, to family, to other adults, you know, they're just not going to do that. They're just good mountain people, you know. And um, so that that was always my my pillar, you know, that they wouldn't lie. So there's got to be something out there that we don't know of. And in 2014, it was March. Uh, my wife and I decided we were going to buy an RV. So we bought an RV from a buddy of mine that wanted to sell his fifth wheel. And we bought it. And I thought, gosh, I just don't really want to pull anything anywhere anymore. Tote RVs around. It's just a pain. So let's find us a campground and put it on. Set it up permanently and we'll go to it. So that's what we did. We found a little campground. And um, it was around the beginning of March. We had the RV pulled in. I ordered one of those uh, metal carports and had it put over the entire thing, which was, I think it had to be 20 by 30, 24 by 30 carport. It was pretty big. And I thought, well, this is great. I won't get rained on, but now I got to stand on the dirt. So luckily there was some campers that were not going to renew their um, lease at the campground. And they had a porch. And they had told my wife, well, if you come clean out our camper, you can have what you want, and we'll give you that porch. Fair enough. So we, we bought the RV. We got the deal worked out with the people across um, 
the campground for their deck. So the day came and I got a buddy of mine to help me. Luckily, the deck was 30 foot long, which is exactly what the carport was. And it was built in three sections, 10 foot each section. So I thought, well, this would be easy. I'll back my trailer up over there. He'll help me load each section up and we'll take a section at a time and set it up. So we, we did that. And he had a daughter and she was mad because we're in the mountains and there's no, there's no internet, no cell service, no nothing. You know how teenagers are. They got to have that phone. <laughs> so come about five o'clock. I'm not familiar where you're from, but in March at, at 5 p.m., it's pitch black here. Sun's already gone. So his daughter wanted to go home. So he left and uh, I was leaning against a neighbor's camper where you can get a, enough cell phone signal to make a phone call. And I was looking back at the deck thinking, oh, I got to work on this some more. It don't look right. So I went to work on it. He left. Uh, the campground stays locked because it was out of season. And the only way in and out is through the gate, which stays locked. So I had to go let him out and then lock the gate back behind me. And I knew I was alone in the campground and the campground is way back in the woods, uh, bordering the Pisgah national forest. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I, I knew I was alone there, there. There was nobody else in there. And there's, a, there's a few scattered houses around us. Very few with tree farms. They all have tree farms around us. So there's a lot of wilderness. And then the other side is Pisgah national forest where there's none, no houses. We were, our spot of the campground was the last spot at the campground before it went off the property. And there is a stream, not quite a river, but probably a stream about a uh, calf deep, maybe 20, 25 yards wide. And um, that is directly behind our camper by 15 feet or so. So that's just giving you an idea of what, what the layout looks like. Uh, directly behind our camper, you have the 25-foot wide stream. And then there's a cliff that goes almost vertical that is about – is that your phone or me? I'm sorry. Oh, this, uh, I, this, I don't think that's me. Okay, it's probably something on here. I thought I had everything blocked. But um, it's all right. I'm, sure you can, I'm sure you can edit that out. <laughs> but, I, I honestly yeah. didn't even hear anything, so – Okay, I'll just keep going. In. So, uh, about just on the other side of the stream, I mean, there's there's not even a foot, and the cliff starts probably seven, uh, 50 to 70 feet high or so. No, I take that back. Maybe about 40 to 50 feet high. But it's regardless, it, it's, it's pretty vertical. So the, you're not going to climb it. I, I've, I've tried. I've tried to go up, it, and there's just no way to do it. So he leaves and I'm there working on the deck. I'm putting more blocks up underneath it, leveling it out. Um, come about 10 o'clock. The only thing I have to do is put a lot of the top deck boards back on where I had it took apart in sections. And the only light I had was the very dim 10 watt camper light above the door, which you can see right in front of me. That's about it. But I heard something behind me come stomping up the creek or stream or whatever you want to call it. And I've done a lot of trout fishing around Western North Carolina. I, I used to trout fish a lot every day after work. I, we're, we're lucky here where I live. We have a, an awesome trout river. And I take my dogs. I've had labs and stuff. And you see deer 
run from you when you're stomping up the, the creek or whatever fishing. So I knew what four feet sound, what four legs sounded like stomping through the water. And of course I hear me going through the water and I know what two feet sound like, you know, now this all took about four or five seconds to rationalize, you know, it takes longer to explain it, but mm-hmm. I knew whatever that was stomping up behind me was on two legs because it was just a big whoosh, whoosh sound, whoosh. You can just hear the water going. And I thought, what in the world was that? And I thought about what, like I said, it only took me a few seconds to, to deduct it, but I knew it wasn't a bear because there wasn't enough feet going through the water legs, but I knew it had big legs because it was making a whooshing sound instead of a pitter patter sound like deer's legs would do or a dog's paws, you know? So I knew it had big legs, but I knew, but it wasn't a bear. So I didn't, the only thing I needed to do was go into camper, get the flashlight. I had a, a, an assault shotgun in there. Why? I don't know. Just, I thought it was fun to have around the camper just in case you never know. So I went out, I went in the camper, grabbed it, loaded it and grabbed a, a really good um, flashlight led really bright. And I come back out and scan the river and I could tell where the river was uh, all mucked up water ripples going to the banks, you know, so I knew something was in, had been in the water, but I didn't see nothing. So I looked around and listened and didn't hear nothing. So I set that stuff on the deck and I went back to work and not 30 seconds, probably not even 20 seconds of going back to work on the top of the deck, the exact same thing happened again, except closer. And I thought, Jesus, I dove over and grabbed that flashlight and spun around with the shotgun there by my side. And again, the water was rippled, disturbed, messed up, um, but I didn't see nothing. Now, even though this flashlight I had was a great bright flashlight, probably 400 lumens or so, it didn't quite penetrate that amount of darkness past a certain point. So I scanned the cliff over there again, you know, just looking around thinking, you know, there's, there's, you either go back the way you came or you got to come by me or you got to go up that cliff. That's the only way through here. And I'm thinking it can't be a person because it's March and that water's freezing. And plus I'm the only one in the campground, you know, so um, all those things are running through my mind and I look and I, I must've looked and listened and, and investigated for about 10 minutes trying to figure out what this was didn't come up with anything. So I just go back and put these last couple boards on. I'm going home. I'm done for the night. So I went back around to where I was working at, set everything down, grabbed the last couple boards and started putting the screws in them. And out of pure silence, a boulder slammed right in the middle of that stream. And I knew that boulder wasn't there before because when I grabbed the flashlight to look, it was right in the middle, probably a little more closer to my side of it, of the stream than the other side. And uh, like I said, it just took me a few seconds to realize, you know, if that thing would have rolled down that cliff, I would have heard it all the way down. It would hit everything. It was March, there are leaves everywhere, they're dry, hadn't rained. And, but there was none of that. It was dead silence. So that thing slamming in the middle of the stream and water just exploded everywhere. I could hear it hitting the ground everywhere. And the 
their boulder was the size of about two basketballs. Whoa. Yeah, it was big. Uh, Have you ever seen one of those medicine balls they used to use back in the day? Used to toss around. That's about the size it was. It was bigger than one basketball, so maybe two basketballs, but I would say one of those medicine balls that was back in the day. And uh, I made a mental note of that rock because it was too cold to wait out there in the water and really look at it. But I made a mental note. It was really the only one sticking out of the water that big that didn't look like it belonged. So uh, anyway, I grabbed the flashlight again, and I'm scanning everywhere, and I look up on that um, cliff. And there is a silhouette. I couldn't see it, make it out as far as uh, seeing it really good, but you could just see the silhouette because there was moon behind it, light behind it. And it was just swaying. Now, I, I, I've told very few people about this encounter, but I've, I never told my family or people at, at the campground what I'd seen up, up on that little cliff because I didn't want them to worry and or say, Hey, you're stupid or you're crazy or whatever, but that don't really bother me anymore. But, uh, I couldn't see anything as far as any kind of eye shine or anything. I could just see a silhouette on two legs bobbing back and forth and, uh, just looking back at me, you know, so we had this little, I guess we'd call it a staring contest. It could have been looking away from me because I really couldn't see a face either, just a silhouette. And then pretty soon it finished where it was going and it went on and never heard anything like that again or anything like that again. Uh, later on that season, um, I had a job that would keep me out. I won't say what it is, but uh, I had a job that would keep me out to like two o'clock in, in the morning on weekends, it was like a secondary job, part-time job or something. And when I would come back to the campground where my family was at the camper, the neighbor camper was always fishing in the pond, uh, catfishing. So I'd go over and talk to him. And one night I walked over there when I walked in, cause I couldn't go right to sleep around and come home. I had to wind down. And he says, you know, he's like, shh, listen. I said, okay. So I'm listening. And we could hear something screaming way off up in the uh, the valley to, toward the mountains. And we, we do have that recorded. And I'll have to find that recording to see where it's at. Because I've been through a couple phones since then, since 2014. But we had heard it on numerous occasions when I come in late at night and he's over there fishing. And we started recording what we had heard. And the best way I, I can describe it now, like I said, this campground was way back in, in the hollow in a valley. Um, but when I describe it to people, I, I tell them, if you ever heard a semi-truck from a long way away going down the interstate at 70 miles an hour and the tires are whining, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. But it wasn't no truck, you know, because it, there just wasn't any around there like that going that fast. But that's what it sounded like. And it would get start kind of low, get real loud, and then drop back off again. It would just do it over and over and over. So we had that happen that same year on many nights. And then one night I came in and we heard one over, say, for example, for example, north and then one south of us doing the exact same thing back and forth. And I, I think they were telling us um, – 
hey, those guys are up in the campground fishing in the pond. Don't go down there. I mean, you know, who knows what, what they're doing when they're communicating back and forth. So, and then later on that same year during the camping season, up near the, well, let, let me get drop back to the other part. Uh, actually, those guys like to fish in the pond late at night after all the other campers are in their, on their porches or in their beds or whatever. It's probably about 10, 12, 11, 12 o'clock at night. There's a knock on my camper door from one of the other campers. And he's like, hey, man, grab your shotgun. Come on, we got a bear in the campground. I'm like, a bear, really? Like, yeah, yeah, come on. We got to go find this thing and run, run it off because there's kids and stuff there. So, uh, and I'm like, well, hey, no, it was a bear. And they're like, well, we saw it down the straightaway. It was right underneath the, uh, the, uh, the street light at, at one of the campgrounds. I'm like, okay, we saw it. So we looked around and the campground is completely surrounded by a fence except for the river area where it comes and goes off the property. There's no fence through there. So it would have to go either over the fence or out the main entrance or the only entrance really, or through the stream to get out. We rode all over that campground, looked under everybody's camper around everybody and never saw anything. Hmm. And it was like, it just disappeared. You know, the bear disappeared. So I never gave that much thought at all until, um, that same year toward the end of the camping season, we were out. Usually some people will help the management of the campground do maintenance. You know, we'll mow, weed eat, pick up limbs, stuff like that. We were working up near one of the flower beds and lo and behold, somebody found a big old footprint in the flower bed. Oh. It was, it was pretty big. It sure was. Oh. So that made me think back about that whole bear thing, you know? Yeah. How, how come we never saw this bear, you know? Maybe it was one, maybe it was a Bigfoot on all fours, and you just thought it was a bear, you know. Mm -hmm. We never did find a bear, bear tracks either, you know. So, but it was definitely something there for them to cause alarm to go looking around. And then, if that same year, as a matter of fact, uh, we were staying up there, and it was about 20 miles away from where I work, and I had my heat and air system tore out all summer long, replacing it with new. And my wife says, Well, I'm not staying at this house, there's no air conditioner. You know? Uh, summers in, in, in the South are, are brutal, man. I don't know if you <laughs> sure listeners know that, but pretty brutal. So see, we stayed at the campground every day of the entire summer of 2014. So I would, and that was back when I smoked and I would get up at seven o'clock and so would my neighbor that was talking fished all night. He would get up almost at the same time and he smoked too. And we're off, we'd holler across the, the road to each other. And, um, he had already left that particular morning to go to work and I had a little more time. So I'm on the porch, you know, drinking a soda, I don't drink coffee and smoking. And out of the blue tree knocks, wham, wham, wham. And I'm like, did I just hear something beating on the tree? I mean, it happened so fast and so sudden I was questioning myself. Did I hear that? Yep. And it's quiet, you know, and, I thought, I don't know. So I, this, now this time I'm listening. All of a sudden it did it again. Wham, wham. I'm thinking, yes, that's exactly what I heard. It was a tree knock. <laughs> and so that, that was the same year. And also, if you look on the BFRO, the exact same year of 2014, 
there was several sightings around uh, Lake James, which is not very far from where we are. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Oh wow, this is beautiful out here. Let's check on this chicken. Smells good. Woo, looks good. Hey, what's going on? I didn't know you were listening over there. How's it going? Welcome to Gordon Speaks. We're just a variety show that talks about various topics, man, ranging from music to horror movies to cultivation to travel to quantum physics. I have various guests and uh, all sorts of different segments that are guaranteed <laughs> to ignite your auditory and imaginative senses. If you like to laugh, if you like to smile, if you dig some variety in your life, come on over to Gordon Speaks. Check us out. We'll be here on the dock. Peace. Coming to you from the Paranormal Warehouse, Destination Mystery paints the story from paranormal content, abnormal adventures, and the fun behind the investigations. Each week, Mike and Melissa will bring a new adventure that includes going to some of the most remote places in the West. They will tell the story behind the investigation and share with you the evidence they discover. This is not your regular paranormal show. These episodes will bring new content from locations that no one would think to investigate or explore. We will not only tell the spooky story, we will go to the location where the spooky story originated. Fasten your seatbelts as we take you on an adventure that will make you question what's normal and what's paranormal. All that happened, you know, right together. So with having said all those uh, circumstances, coming together all at one time in the same area at the same time that gave me a lot of pause. And plus what had happened to me that, that night, the camper, that kind of reignited that fire. You know, maybe there is these things out there. Maybe I should pay more attention and start looking. So I did, I went out and bought a bunch of equipment and stuff and I hit the woods and, and joined a, uh, a club, not really a club, but a, a group around here. It actually has a Bigfoot festival every year. Okay. And, and with, uh, you want me to plug them? Give them their name? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Please do. Yeah. It's called Bigfoot 911. Okay. And uh, they have done a lot of good work in this area. And I've gone out with them a lot. And a very good man runs it. And he's very scientific. And he's I mean, he just loves it, you know. And he's older man and retired. So we go out. We've got a lot of evidence. And you can probably find that evidence on the group. Facebook on the Facebook group page of Bigfoot 911. And it's exactly the same areas that I've been talking about this whole time. So uh, I can remember one night uh, we were around the Lake James area and we had put out some glow sticks along the forest service road, which we had to hike into. And we come to a big, long straightaway in the Forest Service Road. And uh, John, the leader, says, hey, this would be a great place to put these uh, these uh, glow sticks out. So we break them and we put some fishing line on them. We tie them uh, on the side of the road all the way down that straightaway. So that the plan was, hey, you know, we can look from one end to the other and see all of these. And if there's one missing, we're going to know it. 
because yeah. he had a theory about glow sticks that they liked to mess with them because he had had them messed with before. And that's where he had his first encounter was uh, he saw this thing plain as day, pick up one of his glow sticks and hold it and stare at it. And he could see the detail and everything in the glow of the glow stick. So that's where he got that idea. So one night we're out here and uh, uh, John and I and his, and his son were along that straightaway where everybody else was you know, going through the woods and doing what they do. And we noticed the glow stick was gone. So we walked down to the area that glow stick was at and, you know, radio to the rest of the team. Hey, uh, we're missing the glow stick. Anybody got a glow stick <laughs> that took it? No, nobody missed it. We take a glow stick. So we start looking around and find the glow stick about uh, 40 to 50 yards back in the woods. With no, no idea how it got off the fishing string or how it got there, you know? Yeah. Everybody else was way up the uh, Forest Service Road from us. We were the last ones kind of hanging back here around the area, you know? So it, it would be real weird for one of them to even come back and mess with it. It, it wouldn't even be a gag trip because, you know, it's, that, that's not how we do, you know, do, do things. We don't prank each other. So uh, that was pretty serious. And then I believe John, uh, him and some friends of his went on a, a little, not really a solo excursion, but uh, he, had, he had got some wind of some fishermen in the local area that had had some weird activity while they were fishing around the lake on some properties mm -hmm. like something was stalking them on the shoreline while they fished in the lake. So of course they reiterated that to John and John got somebody with a pontoon boat and him about, you know, four or five of the team members, they went out one night and John got a picture. What we believe is a Sasquatch on a thermal that you could actually see on the Facebook page too, uh, peeking around a tree. And uh, I really can't think of what else it could be besides that because it shows movement. And I believe it's in video. I, I think there's some stills, but there's also a video of it that you could look on that. So in the meantime, um, I had a lady call me once about um, a friend of hers that she works with in another county. He owned a farm. And he had been having a lot of activity, but he didn't really know anything of this subject. He's had some animals killed, uh, animals gone missing, even cows tore up. And it's about a 300-acre farm. And asked me if I would be interested in just talking to him. So I said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll talk to him. Uh, well, I gave her my name and my number and says, you know, just tell him to call me at his convenience, and uh, I'd be glad to talk to him. So he called and he told me what all had been going on on his farm from the very beginning. He's lived on that farm for a while, but the, uh, the farm used to be a lot bigger, way bigger than it is now. And over the years of family taking pieces here and pieces there and hand it down. And it was, it's about 300 acres now. And so it's been the family a long time, even back uh, during the Civil War, it was in the same family. And there was also a residence, or not a residence, there was a cave actually, where it was said that he, he related to me, that's where the slaves would go hide. When the uh, people, the troops, or whoever would come around for whatever reason, I'm not really that big on that kind of info, but it was somewhere they would go hide. And when he was a kid, 
they would actually go to this cave where the slaves would hide and they would find their, their, their walking sticks, their, their eyeglasses from way back in the 1800s, really neat, you know? So, uh, and on his property, um, this creature had been seen several times by about everyone in the family. As far as immediate family and his brother, when they deer hunt the land, they would have an encounter. It had been going on since uh, 2012 when his brother first saw it while deer hunting on the property. It walked by his tree stand. And so it's been going on there for a while. So I told him, shoot, I would love to come look at your property and have a look around, see what I could find, any structures, any evidence, any indication that these things might be there. You know, I, I could look around and probably tell you. And from the day I walked on that property, um, I could tell you he's got one or a family unit living on his property because I've found different size of footprints, you know, documented them, photographed them, uh, tree structures woven together to form arches. Um, not, not, not saying that these couldn't have been human done, you know, but it's like I always told the, uh, the farmer, let's call him the farmer that owns the property that, you know, if you're trying to fool me, you're not really fooling anybody. So, and, and, and I've thought about that. I said, I, you know, since I've came here, I've really tried to debunk everything you've ever told me, anything I've ever found. And uh, I told him, you know, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that I just can't debunk, like these gigantic footprints we found down in the, uh, the creek bottoms. They're just huge. So, uh, he and I would, he, now he won't go on the property after dark. He won't go outside the house area after dark. That's out. His wife used to run the fence line. They used to have to run it two times a week to make sure trees hadn't fallen on it and grounded out the, uh, the electric fence. He, he said, because the cows know when, it, when, when it's not on. Somehow they know and they will challenge it. So they have to, you know, keep up on that. And he says his wife won't do it anymore because uh, stuff gets thrown at her, um, sticks, limbs, pebbles. While he's mowing, things get thrown at him while he's bush hogging because he used to um, bush hog me an area where I could go with my uh, side by side as not to run over. His area where he don't have cattle, he has soybeans. So I try to stay out of those. So he bush hogs me a path where I can get to the, the different wood lines of his property. Mm -hmm. uh, so we put out we've put out game cameras a lot and we've had three very interesting pictures come back one of which there's no doubt what it is you can look at it and i can send it to you there is no doubt what this picture is once you see it now it's not the best of picture it was took in february of last year of 2019 and the camera was only out for a week, but it rained so hard that entire week. We went and got the camera early and he was downloading the pictures and going through them. And he come across this picture. Like I said, there's, there's no doubt. Once you see it, you know exactly what it is. And, but it's not the greatest picture. And I haven't really put it out there because I can't stand for the person to say, Oh, that's a blob squat. So, you know, or they'll start. Why does nobody ever get a, a, a clear picture of a Bigfoot? You know, it's, only people that's never been in the woods would say that it, it's, yeah, it's right. so hard. It's so hard. And I do believe in the, the theory that these things can see the infrared on the cameras, 
but why we got these three pictures at such a close range, I don't know. The first one looks like a snuffleupagus from Sesame Street, if you remember that show. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we don't have brown bears in Western North Carolina, as far as I know. They're not saying there couldn't be a freak one or two around. Right. But we always put the cameras. I, I'm 6'5". And um, I always put the cameras at my eye height whenever I put them up just to rule out deers and cows because he does have cows on, on the property. So I try to rule that out. So I put them at, you know, six and a half feet high. And one, I couldn't tell what it is. It's just a forehead of something big. And like I said, the, the third picture you have to see for yourself and uh, make your own determination what it is. And like, and all on his property is just, the, the insane happenings that you could ever think of. They seen him peeking out behind trees. He's got them recorded. He's got them on video, but never to any detail. So I had a friend ask me, um, well, I was, I, I would take several friends with me to his property or somebody to go with, because like I said, he won't go on the property by his, after dark. That's out. His wife will not run the fence line anymore. She's done with it. So he's got to do all that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And he also raises dogs um, like uh, I, to me, they look like wine, wine rainers dogs. OK. And he has them all over the, the around the house, different corners of the house and different lots, you know. And he was trying to plant a garden when I had first met him. But he says, every time I try to put a garden here for the last several years, it starts growing good. Something come rips everything out of the ground and takes it. You know, now you, we can't say that that's that's not a homeless person. You know, we we just don't know. Right. And uh, there's never been any proof besides those pictures that I can't say human hands couldn't have done it or human feet couldn't have done it because they very well could. You, you give people enough time to think, you know, they, they can get pretty creative. Absolutely. So I was on the fence for a long time about this guy's place until I got that third picture. And then um, I said, I would take friends out with me. We've, we've cooked bacon in, in the woods, but who can resist bacon? I can't, you know, right. <laughs> I've, I've tried all kinds of things on these animals. I've, I've put game cameras out around the barn where he says a lot of things happen. He's got four or five barns on this place, but one particular barn, which is butted up to the woods, it seems like a lot of things happen. So I've put cameras on the barns and maybe that's how I got this third picture cause I put red glow sticks all around it and they last about eight hours. And I, and I was thinking maybe those red glow sticks will disguise the infrared light that trips it. I don't know. You know it was just a, a theory or an idea that I thought I would try. So I have a, uh, a friend of my wife's that likes to go with me on these kind of things. And uh, she said, well, have you ever bothered checking the BFRO in this area? And I said, no. And she says, well, let, let me look. She had looked no more than five or 10 minutes until we came across a sighting. Somebody reported back in 2013, right across this guy's driveway. Whoa. Yes. And then I thought, this guy's not fooling me. He's got something going on because this is from 2013. He said his problem started in 2012. And here I have some other total stranger that was just driving down this road, had a sighting that was BFRO investigator. And they had a really good look at it. So, uh, wow, 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 yeah. wow. Yes. 
and uh, all those all those are on that that website you know and in private i can give you all that information i don't want to put this guy's property you know no please don't please don't yeah, yeah. But he's 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 a real nice family guy, and he's been very good to me and lets me use his property as I want, and and as you know as I want to go out and investigate. And but I would love to talk to some of his other neighbors. Yeah. To see if yeah. I just hate to walk up somebody's door and knock on and hey, you know, have you seen any big feet around here? So, <laughs> I haven't done that yet. You but you you might be surprised at the answers you get though. <laughs> well, could be, but then. Uh, like I said, February, we got that third picture that was just really amazing. And uh, it is blurry, but you can, like I said, you, you know exactly what it is when you see it. But that's about the time COVID hit mm. and uh, his wife started battling cancer. So I've kind of stayed away because yeah. I, you know, just don't want to take any chances or anything happening over there. But everything is going good with the family and uh, her treatment and everything, which is awesome. So hopefully this spring when things, because everything on his property seems to happen, start in early, early spring and go till midsummer, then everything stops. So last year I didn't get to go a whole lot. Well, I didn't go any. So hopefully I've, I've been in contact with him. We can start. Back. And I, I don't like going to his property during deer season because they like to hunt the property and I don't want to mess uh, in. Yeah. So, um, but he's, he, he's had uh, now, on his property, like I said, he's had game cameras twisted off trees. He's had deer blinds torn down in areas. And there's one part of that property that's just super, super, super spooky. And that happens to be around that cave area that I was telling you about. That's mm -hmm. in there. It's just super spooky. I get goosebumps every every time I drive in there with, with the side-by-side -side or the UTV. So Man. that's a... That's pretty much what got me into this. And, okay. And any of you listeners are, are local to the area or are looking for a Bigfoot festival, that that 911, Bigfoot 911 group, they've been doing a festival uh, for the last couple of years. Now, this past year, we couldn't do it because of COVID, of course. Yeah. It's a yeah. big street festival. And uh, I was involved with the first one, and uh, I believe the numbers were estimated at uh, – 30,000 wow. for, for the first ever street festival. Then they had the second annual street festival. And then of course, last year's got canceled, but mm -hmm. I just saw a message from him where we will do a street festival again, uh, tentatively planned for, I believe the 13th, 14th, or, or maybe the 15th, whatever it is in September okay. when they do. It. So uh, everybody might want to look out for that in Marion, North Carolina. Well, well, I'll be sure to uh, plug this at the end of beginning and end of the episode then too. So. Yeah. And like I said the, the group is Bigfoot 911. And uh, yeah, go on there, you know, re request to get on their page and hear all the info and, and look at some of the, um, the uh, evidence that they have was really good. And they're also the, another guy around here that's in the Uwari, which I would love to go to Uwari uh, National Forest. It's in the central North Carolina, and I hear it's super hot spot right now. You know, of course, there's probably a lot of hot spots everywhere that people say, but a lot of people go in New Orleans looking, and they find what they're looking for. You know, with footprints and and screams and yells and whatever's going on. Lee Woods is a big investigator in that area. He's got a lot of casts and stuff like that. They're just undeniable. 
of okay. what they are. He's even got an he's even got a a, a night vision video of one. He's he turned around behind him one night while investigating with his camera, and it took off behind a tree and ran across the road behind some more trees. So, like I said, you know, all that is open to in, interpretation. But uh, I personally know these people; they're they're good people, and they're not going to pull the wool over your eyes and tell you something that's not factual. And which is probably the one of the biggest problems of this. Bigfoot thing anyway. There's, there's there's too much hoax and too much non-factual going on, so it's hard for people to get through the um, the meat and potatoes of it, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm sure you run across me on the uh, Sasquatch Believers. Yeah. That is, yeah. yeah. And I, I'd ask uh, Tony, to, you know, hey, let me get here and moderate and get rid of some of these trolls. Trolls are kill these groups. What people get out of trolling, I have no idea. Mental illness. It's, it's got to be. I mean, that's like, I believe Tony put it to me. It's, it's like somebody going to church and sitting in the back row and heckling the preacher the whole time. That's, exa- <laughs> that's, that's right on the head, man. That is exactly it, what it is. Exactly. So I thought, well, that's, that was an excellent way to put it, and you're exactly right. So uh, me, myself, I work hard to screen people. And, and if you guys do go to the Bigfoot Believers group, yeah. Please answer all all three questions because you you won't get in unless you do. Yep. It's a. Yeah. I and, I'm I I myself run a couple of groups like that, and I don't let. There's one group I let people in if they don't answer it, and that's because it's a anybody's. Uh, it's an open forum, so anybody's welcome to go on there. But other than that, yeah, that, that questionnaire is a big a big help when it comes to uh, weeding out the people that probably shouldn't be in those groups. Exactly. And th- they're simple questions like, you know, why do you believe in, in Sasquatch or Bigfoot? Well, some people say, I- I've seen one. Uh, I want to know more, you know, and, and all that's fine. But then the-, the other questions are, do you promise not to um, bother any other members with negativity or mm-hmm. or put them down in any way, you know? And, and if you agree, yes, I'll let you in. But the first time I see it, you know, you, you got to go. No yeah. hard feelings, but that's not the place for it. Well, it sounds to me like it's in gre- an agreement of being human. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know any, anymore, but... Um, no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the hopes anyway, but that, those are my uh, encounters, you know, not not that great, but... But it's, it's, it's what I've had so far. Like I said, I will send you the uh, the the third photograph. I'll send you all three of them. It don't matter. The, the first two are open to uh, speculation because they're, they're not real definitive. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the, the third picture from last February, you know, once you get through the grainy detail, you see exactly what it is. And, yeah, yeah. And, I'll, and I could also send, you know, the, the, the place on BFRO, of the uh, the sighting report from this guy's in front of his house by just a stranger, you know. That that would be awesome. I'm actually on there all the time, so I I might have read it already, but um, might have I, maybe not. So that would be awesome to get that information as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, all so all of your encounters or stuff that's happened and to your family members that's extremely intriguing. The one story that sticks out most to my mind is the is the stream, the stream situation when you were fishing. You had that boulder 
come flying. Uh, now, I had a couple questions for you. Uh, uh, for you. Okay. Um, so, uh, you said it was it was about it was getting dark, right? Right around this oh, time. It was, oh gosh, no! It, it was ten o'clock at night when when oh. this happened. Oh, it was and dark, it, dark. It was way past dark. Yeah, it, it was dark. Thirty was what we say in the military. It was no dark. 30. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, okay, that that I'm just trying to paint a picture in my in my head of what of the situation. Um, so, <clears throat> when you uh, when you say this boulder came through, did did you know? Did it was it more of like a roll? Uh, did it uh, might have uh, rolled down the embankment into it, or was it thrown? There's no way, and I will say that with 100 percent uh, assurance, that boulder was thrown. There was no way that boulder ran or rolled down that cliff. There is no way. Because after the first two um, things happened, mm-hmm. I was listening for sounds at this point. E- even though I was you know, drilling in screws into deck boards, I was listening to what was going on around me because I didn't want something to walk up behind me because my back was actually to the, to the stream, uh. the small river. So... I didn't want walked up on just in case it was a bear, you know, um, right. at this point I, I wasn't convinced what was happening, but yet I was listening and I was totally aware of everything around me. So if, if that thing, and plus it would have took a long time for that thing to roll down and I would have heard it hit everything, but no, it was dead silent to that thing slamming in the bedrock. Cause like I said, the stream is only, you know, calf deep at best. On okay. my side of the stream, where the rock was closer to, probably just above the ankles, you know, deep. Gotcha. So there was, uh, there's no way that it rolled. Absolutely, positively not. It gotcha. it was it was thrown. And I'll and I'll tell you something else I had forgot about. My son-in-law back then he had a gator, and a, a John Deere gator, just a mm-hmm. regular old farm type gator, and I had bought it from him, and I was using that gator later that summer and I was going up and down the, uh, the stream or the r- small river Creek, whatever, getting the biggest rocks that I could find. And I was damming it up for my boys to play in, you know, cause like I said, it was only ankle deep, sometimes calf deep. And I thought, well, I'll make it a, a little bit deeper for them to swim in. Everybody likes a damned up Creek to play in. And then plus, you know, during football season, when I come home from football practice in the heat of the afternoon, I like to take a chair down there and just sit in it. It was great. So, mm-hmm. I was working on damming it up and I had running out of big rocks and I couldn't go back over the dam with the gator because it was getting too high and you know, get high center and get it stuck in the creek. So I noticed that big rock, the one that was thrown and I made the middle note where it was at. And so it was the only rock in the middle of the creek that was sticking up out of the water, basically. So I was like, well, I could use that big rock in this dam. So I went over there to try to pick it up. I couldn't pick it up. I could get it about, kneecap high and it was just too heavy to lift any further so i called my son-in-law and he had just got out of the marine corps and he was up with playing with the boys at at the camper and i said hey can come here and help me pick this rock up and it was all men him both could do to put it in the back of the gator in, in the bed of the gator so i could take it and dump it where i wanted it so it was a it was a good size boulder actually about the size of a medicine ball a little bit bigger than Probably two basketball size. So we're talking like a 
upwards of five to six guys to be able to launch it into the air like what you're, oh, what you're describing. I, I don't think five or six guys could – you could stand that many people around around it because, you know, you can only get so many people hands on, on a rock. I don't even think – no, there's there's no way they threw it that that anybody could throw it that far. That's not that's that. that's scary, man. That's <laughs> then you hear all all the time people that have sightings. They they talk about they have rocks or stones thrown at them and stuff like that. But uh, that 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 was definitely got got my attention. And I I tell you what, I, I was not done with the deck. But when that boulder hit the water and I saw the ripples coming from it, and I knew that was the boulder that was thrown there because it wasn't there before, mm-hmm. I got in my truck and left. Uh, I was yeah, but... at that point. I'd had enough. And after seeing the and after seeing the silhouette up there, you know, bobbing back and forth, uh, I was done. I got in the truck and I will tell you what, I looked all over the place and I was I was really nervous because I had to get out and un- unlock the gate. Mm-hmm. And back then, um, those years of the campground had different owners and they had just took over like a year before that. They bought the campground from somebody else. So none of the streetlights were working. Okay. People probably shot them out or, or slingshotted the bulbs out of them. I don't know, but none of the streetlights worked. So when, when I got to the gate, I actually paused and thought, man, I better look around, you know, it's awful dark and I got to get out and unlock this gate, open it, get back in the truck, drive to the other side of it get back out, pull it back across, lock it, and walk back to the truck. I'm thinking, I don't want that thing around me because this is the way he was going, you know? So, yeah. yeah, That <laughs> definitely gave me pause, and I was done for the night. And I don't know if I should. I had a, a soda that I got to have a little mini fridge that sits on the porch of the, uh, the camper. And I grabbed a soda out of it and set it in the truck, and that's all I remember doing. But I remember... When I opened it, I was mad because it, it it exploded in the inside of my truck. I thought, well, my hands must have been shaking. I must have shook that thing up because I didn't drop it. You know, so I must have been a little rattled. Hmm. And I, I remember cleaning soda off my dash, steering wheel, windshield. So <laughs> I must have been a little nervous. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, so um, uh, obviously uh, this uh, shook you up a little bit. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, yeah, yeah. It picked up a little bit. Uh, did did you do you remember? Did you have any like uh, effects after your encounter, after your experience, after like long lasting? Like, did you have any sort of PTSD or uh, uh, scared to be- go back into the woods or anything like that? No, that that kind of actually lit my fire, and I oh. wanted to see more. You know, I'm like, well, I seen this thing up. I seen something up there. I, I want to see it. You know. And I thought, I'm going to prove it's real. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go get me a body, you know. Just like everybody else that, that goes in, into this says, yep. I'm, going to, I'm, going to get a, I'm going to prove it to science, you know. So I've thought about this over the years. And, you know, I still believe it's a flesh and blood creature to me. That's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe it's interdimensional. I don't think they travel by some portal. But like I said, now this is my opinion. Everybody's got their their own opinions, and it's fine. Personally, I don't believe it because if if that was the case, why would we have a film of Patty? Why would we have the the, the Paul Freeman video? Why wouldn't they just poof and be gone, and, and you wouldn't get them on camera? You know. So I don't know. So I believe they're a they're a flesh and blood animal. 
And I, I start out like, like everybody else. I'm going to prove the science. I'm going to be the one to get one. So I go out and buy all kinds of equipment. I upgraded my Gator to just a monstrous six passenger John Deere Gator where I can take lots of people out to the woods, a group, drop them off, whatever. We all have somewhere to ride. You know, it's just, it's cool. And uh, <clears throat> stuff like that. And then the more I do this, the more I think, the more I find the footprints and the structures that are built and stuff like that. And doing a lot of research. I mean, a, a lot of, Squatching is actually doing homework on the internet. Mm -hmm. What are other people saying? What are other people reporting? You know, and that's where you come across these interdimensional stuff. And yeah. I got to listening to podcasts about like yours. Mm -hmm. And I hear a lot of information put out there and a lot of things that I've never thought about before. And things that happen to people once they have a, a, pretty unique thing happened to me. You know, like say the truck driver, did you ever hear the story about the truck driver that hit one? Uh, yeah, oh, it was a while ago, right? Quite a few years ago. Yeah. It's been a few years ago. Yeah, I think so. And how he got shut up by the government, you know, and, yes. and you hear stuff like, you know, it, it's a government conspiracy and you hear all this stuff. And you, I, like I said, I was in Washington state and Mount St. Hell's that area. Mm -hmm. and you've heard the, uh, the special forces guys or whoever come forward and say, you know, Hey, they, they wouldn't recover these bodies of, of, of these things. Yes. Yes. And uh, they were under top secret orders, not to tell anybody, talk about what they've seen, you know, and I know I'm like everybody else. People can say anything that they want to, but I, I, I say, well, why would these people lie about something like that? You know, mm -hmm. and you can tell when, when, when somebody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes, you know, stuff like that. And, and some of these guys sound pretty, um, pretty serious when they tell you like, you know, the truck driver that hit that one and how, when he got his phone back, it was completely erased. Like it was brand new. Yeah. Again, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So, but that's not the only instance of that. It's happened before to people. All the time, actually. A lot. Not all the time, but a lot. So, you know, when now when I go in the woods, I take a lot of firepower. You know, I, I got my AR and I've got some drum magazines. Mm -hmm. And but the more I hear about it, I don't think it hurt them. You know, they're too fast. When especially when they get on all fours and, you know, they're they're moving around. I think you'd have a pretty hard time taking one of these down unless you just got lucky. Okay. But that's only your first problem. If you manage mm -hmm. to take one down, because yep. the more I, I study this, the more I look into it and hear other people's encounters, there's never more than one. And all the evidence that I've got from this guy's farm, he don't just have one. I believe he's got a family unit because I have found all the different size bear foot tracks everywhere. You know, and they're different from our, our feet. You can just tell they're different. The way the, the, the toes are splayed, they're flat, and, and, and they're just fat, you know. They're not like our skinny little toes. And I have got three or four different sizes from that guy's creek bottoms and stuff in, in, in the soft dirt and sandwich. You know, I've got those photographed too. And so there's not going to be just one. So if you was to get lucky and, and take one out, I don't think you're going to get out of the woods with it. I really don't. I mean, 
say you're lucky and you do get out of the woods with it. Okay, there's a whole lot of luck going on. But not only did you take one down, you got out of the woods with it. Realistically, what are you going to do with it at that point? Well, what do you do with it? It's not like you can go to law enforcement because that scenario brings in the men in black. You know, they're just going to take custody of it. You can't go to any kind of government agency. Uh, you can't go to the news because they'll just censor that. Yeah. Um, Make it their yeah. own. Yeah. You know, pretty much the only thing you could do is have a refrigerated truck or freezer truck and, and you take it to Idaho State University because, you know, yeah. we're just, we're peons on, on this earth. If you really think about it, nobody's going to miss us. Right. And, if they want to keep this thing covered up to the extremes that I believe they've gone with people, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen because you hear of too many instances like uh, the guys show up and one's a biker guy, one's a clean cut guy. They play good cop back. You've, you've heard that before, right? Oh yeah. Tons of times. One person, but from several people all over the country. Yes. So what do you do with if you take it out of the woods? So I have completely rethought that whole thing, and uh, I would probably never shoot one or shoot at one unless it unless it was just come down to me or him, you know, unless it was just that scenario where it was it was a uh, live or die. Yeah, that's where that's where I'm at. Um, I, I held the opinion for a long time. I know we're getting short on time, so we'll we'll cut it we'll cut it here pretty soon. But uh. Okay. I've, I've always heard the, the opinion of, uh, you know, oh, well, if I see one, I'm going to shoot one. And I'm going to, uh, I've always had this, this uh, plan of action of, uh, sorry about the gruesome content people, but, you know, chopping it up body part by body part, and bringing, a, yeah. bringing one arm to Jeff Meldrum, bringing another arm to Cliff Berrickman, that's, you know, and spreading it out and then keeping a sizable chunk for myself. That way, if some, Chicanery happens. There's evidence still. Oh yeah. So uh, you know, but I don't know today if I was uh, out and about and I, <clears throat> I saw one, I, like you just said, unless my life was was at stake, I I don't think I could honestly pull the trigger. Um, and and it's mainly because of uh, uh, how 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 closely related they are to us. I I feel. Um, yeah. I don't know if they are or not, but. Uh, the way their stature is, the way they look, the the mannerisms—it's just—it's too too personalized for me. It would feel it would feel too odd for me to shoot one. And you know, I totally agree. Nothing good is going to come from harvesting one of these. If no. if you could get away with it, and you know, for one, you have to get it out of the woods. You know, that's going to be a hard part in itself. You know, I just don't know how you're going to do it and then get away with it and then get to somewhere where without everybody else knowing what's going on, you know? Well, that's, uh, I don't, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I just gonna say nothing good is, is ever going to come from shooting that one. No. Well, it's, uh, I don't know if you listen to, uh, Tony Merkel's the confessionals podcast at all, but, uh, right around the beginning of his podcast, he had, Someone come on uh, claiming that he shot and killed a Bigfoot. He was uh, turkey hunting in, in his full uh, hunting garb. And he had a uh, uh, ghillie suit on and the works and everything. And this Bigfoot came within like uh, 20 feet of him until he finally realized that 
this guy was hunting. He was just tucked up uh, against a tree hidden in some bush. And uh, once the Bigfoot finally realized that uh, this guy was sit- was sit- sitting there, he the Sasquatch charged him and he shot this. I guess he's literally shot the Bigfoot's head off. Wow. So he cl- so he claimed and uh, uh, left the body there and ran back. Got his bu- told his buddies about it, and they went to uh, go retrieve the body. And there was a big drag, bloody uh, drag mark, uh, where like it looked like the body had been drugged. Um, right. And uh, uh, so he calls uh, the Fish and Wildlife the department to uh, report. And, uh, this, you know, this is all according to him. And, uh, I guess the, the cowboy and the, uh, you know, the two men in black people show up and they instantly start grilling him. Like, do you, do you realize what you've shot and killed? Well, they were going to arrest him for shooting and killing the Sasquatch. Cause they're, they're like, you've killed an endangered species. It's like, well, how is it an endangered species? If you guys don't recognize it. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's, there's that. To contend with also if you let's say you do uh you know get a get a sample type a uh, type a specimen sample and uh and you get it to your house and you make sure you you know let everyone know that needs to know about it who's to say the government's not going to come knocking and arrest you there's exactly. you know well, even if you get a DNA sample you walk up to him he picks you up you snag a handful of hair he lets you down you take off running and you get that hair to a to a, a university lab for, for DNA analysis. That DNA analysis will never hit the light of day. No. Yeah. I I I I've never been a conspiracy theorist, you know, but I do you public universities are government funded one way or another, you know. Yeah. They're going yeah. to shut it down. And that's probably you're never going to get a true DNA analysis come from one of these unless you go to some independent lab with their own funds and probably some other country yeah. where our government has no reach. And then maybe you'll get one. Who knows? Yeah. But I, I don't think you can get a DNA sample anymore. It's going to do you any good. It's always going to come up with some known strand. Or, yeah. Well, uh, it was, um, because I, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I live right outside of Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, up in the Olympic uh, Olympic Peninsula, there's the Olympic Project. The, the guys, Derek Randalls and Rich Germo, they run that. And they've, they've had the Nest site. I'm sure you've heard about that. It's been around for a couple, at least last year, for now, uh, at least that I know of. And uh, I, I know Jeff Modrum has been up there and took sampling, uh, an eDNA sampling and uh, – um, uh, a, a, a whole Cliff Berkman, a whole uh, slew of um, uh, PhDs and uh, investigators have been up there checking it out. And I'm pretty sure they got some sort of um, DNA sampling off of a, a molecule, a hair molecule or follicle. I'm sorry, saying the wrong word, hair follicle. Um, and it came out like it was, uh, I, I can't remember exactly, it was an extremely high percentage human. But then it was like a lower percentage finished out uh, percentage unknown, which that's kind of strange. I mean, because we, for the most part, have DNA sequence for most known species on this planet. So for something to come up, pop up unknown like that, to me, it seems kind of out of this world. (laughs) It does. 
it does. But you're, I believe you're never going to get a definitive hit on a DNA sample. It's, they're they're no. just not going to let it happen. Well, right. Well, and then, you know, there's, uh, which is, and this is even more reason why it's more extremely important. There's so many different factors like those unknown uh, um, identifications could be, um, uh, you know, the DNA analysis being, um, uh, you know, bacteria getting into it or something or, or it, right. it's not yeah. sterilized or anything, any, any number. So it's, I, I truly believe it's going to take a body. That's yeah. what's what it's going to take. I hope it's not someone having to take, I hope it doesn't have to come down to someone firing a gun. Um, more, hopefully more along the lines of what you're talking about, the government allowing information out once, uh, cause it's going to happen once a, a semi truck hits one or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's going to be a, a case like that, you know, and, but then where do we go after that? That's, that's the big question. Where do we go after that? We, we can't let everybody go out and hunt these things, you know, or. I don't know. It's just like someone said before, it's just a rabbit hole of what if. Well, yeah. Uh, wrapping it up real quick. That's, that's, that's the whole thing with it is uh, like with the fort. I know a lot of people disagree with this, but if you really think about it, uh, the forestry alone, uh, how it would affect the logging, um, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, when the spotted owl was found, yeah. The uh, logging would, took a detrimental hit, and a lot of it still hasn't came back yet. A lot, it's not oh, full, you know. Yeah, I was up there in Washington State when the spotted owl thing happened, and the, the loggers lost uh, their their income, their ability yeah. to survive. I mean, I, I was there in the Pacific Northwest, and I, I knew how to affect them. I mean, logging just shut down. And, yeah, uh, lots of so, towns shut down, whole yeah. towns, whole logging towns shut down. So you tell me you you try to tell me it wouldn't affect. That's not one of the that's not one of the main reasons, and I I disagree with it. You know, so or not you, but anyone telling me that. So. Oh yeah, everything's going to get affected, and and you know it could even depending on on the origins. Who knows? It could change everything. It could change everything about religion. It could change everything about humanity or history. You know. It changes everything. And you say you take these people that's been all their life in church and they believe every every word of the Bible, which I, I'm not saying they shouldn't. But what if this thing was to come out and all of a sudden, oh, wow, that's not what we were told on Sunday, you know? Right. So it, it could yes. change everything. Then that would, you know, that would really make people question, well, why are we listening to our government anyway? Why are we doing things like this, you know? It yeah. could really have a catastrophic effect. And and to me, I think that's really why the government keeps it suppressed, because it yeah. it would create chaos, widespread panic. Oh, could you, yeah. could you imagine that you you spend your whole life believing one thing, and then something comes out, and it totally negates your entire. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Good. You know what if what if that is the missing link, or or what if that is the the nephilim, or. Or what if that was the sons of God that come into daughters of men and bore children to them? You know, what if? And then all of a sudden now we're a race of aliens that were that that were brought here. You know, exactly it. Who knows? There's so many different. That's exactly it. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to plug anything. Uh, I know you were. Uh, you have uh, your Facebook group. 
that you run. I know it's privatized. Um, so people, if you are interested, make sure you do uh, the questionnaire and all that stuff. But I wanted to give you a chance to do all that plug stuff, AJ. Well, go to uh, Bigfoot 911 Facebook group for one. That's a very, a, a very well run group with a, a lot of good evidence. And of course, uh, Sasquatch Believers on, on the Facebook group is, is another good place. I try to keep all the, the BS down and the trolls out and, and, and let people uh, tell their story or whatever they want to do, share their photographs or whatever they want to do. Just, just, just don't troll and act civil and respect everybody, the members of, of both groups. And, uh, and it's just, you know, enjoy doing it. And I, I know you do. Uh, you, no, you don't belong to a, an investigation group per se, right? You're more of an independent. That's what, big, that's what Bigfoot nine one one is. is it oh, really it is. Investigation group. Yes. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have to throw a highlight on them in the beginning of this episode. We happen to do a, a, a Bigfoot festival every September in Marion, North Carolina, and um, and we do investigations and have a Facebook group for everybody to talk about it and a place to put out info and stuff like that. And there's a lot of good um, squatchers with a lot of good evidence that are also members of that Bigfoot and I, when we, uh, we have dirty South squatchers and uh, they come up with some really great evidence, you know, so. Dirty and, South squatchers. Yeah. So there's, there's so many entities that are a member of the Bigfoot 911 group that do their, in, their, their solo squatching with their own group but we'll all come together in September at the festival and everybody will bring their evidence for the year, you know, see what we got. That's, that's exciting. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear that something like that takes place. That's awesome. So everybody make sure you go check out all those, all those places. He told you Facebook groups, um, people in AJ's area, make sure you take, uh, keep an eye out for um, the festival coming up in September. You said, right. Correct. Yep. September. I can't remember the exact date, but I know it's like 14th or 15th, something like that. It's it's, it's that weekend of September, the 14th, 15th, could be 13th, 14th, something like that. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 14th and 15th. We'll just take this We'll just take this opportunity to uh, require the listener to go onto the Facebook page and uh, look for that. Check into it. <laughs> it's a good time. All kinds of Bigfoot memorabilia, souvenirs, uh, and a lot of uh, investigator boosts. It's got evidence there and uh, plaster casts and photographs and whatever else that they bring. Well, uh, I to th- uh, thank you for your time, AJ. People, make sure you go check out all those places he told you to. All right. Thanks, AJ. Oh, yes, sir. all i have for you if you like today's episode hit that like share subscribe download bell button whichever platform it is you're listening on to spread the word more traffic my way means more guests better future content and an amplified listening experience i want to thank aj for coming on and hope to have him back soon with some more investigation findings and possible future experiences so before i let you go remember green means grow right means rot Always stay green. Never stop learning. Love yourself. Love others. Be kind. Be safe. And until next time.
shoes, world on my shoulder. 